Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We are going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus this morning, and uh, we're going to do that by looking at the scripture that talks about that in Luke chapter 2. And so what I want us to do today, as we have already done through song, is we want to celebrate the arrival of our King. In an article by Polly Campbell on the website Psychology Today, the author gives some reasons why it's important to celebrate. Celebrate anything at all. Celebrating can cause us to notice and appreciate the small things that give our lives value. Maybe it's something as small as the next breath we take in our lungs. Celebrating can help us focus on the positive of our lives instead of always dwelling on the negatives. Isn't it amazing that the negatives often take the most of our resources and our focus when there is so much to celebrate? Also, celebrating relieves stress. So if you are stressed out, celebrate. And celebrating causes us to have more of an optimistic, glass-half-full attitude. Now, the thing is, there's always people that are going to be pessimistic or negative, and people are going to be positive. So a pessimist, they see a dark tunnel. An optimist sees a light at the end of the tunnel. A realist or someone who is all about just realism, they see a freight train. So what the engineer sees is three idiots standing on the tracks as a train approaches them. So what we need to do is that let's look at the Christmas season and let's celebrate. That's why it's so important. Yes, I know that we're expecting Santa Claus to come and there's the the songs and the decorations. And I know we've been in our household, been listening to songs about Christmas for quite some time now. And that's okay. But the thing is, is that we celebrate Christmas, but we have to celebrate the reason for Christmas. And that is Christ. And that keeps us from looking at the materialism and the, what we have and what we don't have of Christmas. And there are some biblical examples of celebration. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching a parable. He says in this parable of the three servants, he says the master celebrated with the faithful servants. One of my favorite things, favorite prodigal son stories, is that in that parable, the older brother, he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder because his younger brother took the inheritance, squandered it, and now has come back and his father is treating him like he is the fair-haired son. The older one was, quite honestly, a little jealous. And so the father tells this to the older son. He says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. How we lost. He was lost, but now he is found. And my friends, there's a lot we can be down about. There's a lot that we can talk about. And there is a lot that we can use to kind of worry about today, tomorrow and the next day, everything from Gas prices, if we're going to be able to find our favorite spice in the store aisle when that time comes. But there are bigger things here. Christmas is a time of celebration. We celebrate what God has done for us. As Again, as I mentioned a moment earlier, just having the choir up there and the robes and the children and all of this beautiful service would have been unimaginable back in March of 2021. 
the people that we have seen that have come through here. Some of you, even even myself, that has had COVID and lived to tell about it. Some of us have lost family members because of that, but we still, in the midst of that, have reason to celebrate Jesus Christ this Christmas. We celebrate those God has placed in our lives. We remember those that He has taken from us. And we can be expectant of those we have yet to meet in our lives. So today we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. For as bad as the world was and is, Jesus came to save you. I've been reading a book by Don Wilton talking about Billy Graham. And if you read about Billy Graham, and many of you know about Billy Graham, his message is clear to people. Jesus loves you. And I want you to know, no matter who you are, where you are, how much money you have in your wallet, what you have on, the, on your clothes, what, what, wherever you come from, Jesus loves you regardless of your skin, your age, or your creed, or your color. Jesus loves you. And we see that in the miracle of Christmas. We receive the gift of Jesus, not because you deserve it, but because he loves you and he loves me. So I said this last year, and some of you took me up on it, uh, but one thing, that a tradition that we started is we started a tradition with today's scripture passage, and that is Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. And this is what the, the, the tradition is. I mean... You still do Santa Claus with, with the children and still do all of those fun things. But what, just something that I'm throwing this out as a suggestion is that you go through and grab a Bible, grab your phone that has the Bible app on it, whatever you do. But before you start tearing into the presents, some of you it'll be like five in the morning because the kids can't sleep because Santa Claus came. But whatever time it is, I encourage you to read these short 20 verses to put everything into perspective. It doesn't take away from the celebrations of the Christmas tree and Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff, but it does add to it. And each year I share this because this tradition has become special to us ever since my father-in-law, Preacher Reese, did this with our family. The first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2 are likely the most recognizable scriptures next to the 23rd Psalm. In John 3.16, every Christmas, read this passage and pray before you begin sharing your gifts and opening presents. I encourage you to do that. There are still presents from Santa, opening stockings and gifts while sitting around the tree, opening presents in pajamas and drinking caffeinated drinks early in the morning. But if you have never done this, you will be amazed. I promise you, you will be amazed at how it puts the entire process into perspective. So with that said, let's look at verses 1 through 7. Jesus arrived in an amazing way. Jesus arrived in an amazing way. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, At that time, Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinus was governor of Syria. If you would, please allow me a moment just to give you some background on the Roman Emperor Augustus, because we rarely spend time doing that. But Augustus's birth name was actually Octavian. He was named after his father, and his grandmother was the sister of someone you may have heard of before in history called Julius Caesar. 
Augustus's talents was noted by his great uncle Julius Caesar, which led to Julius Caesar adopting him as his only son. So when you're in school and they're teaching you about Julius Caesar, I want you to understand that the birth of Christ is connected with him. And so he, he was made Octavius or or Augustus was made Julius Caesar's official heir in 45 B.C. And as you may know from history, Caesar was murdered. So within a year, Octavian joined with the two others, Mark Anthony and Lepidius, and in splitting the, the, the denomination of Rome three ways. And so they took Julius... I know, hang with me for a second. But they took the whole thing of Rome and they divided it between the three sons, so to speak. And so you had Mark Anthony, Lepidius, and of course... Augustus, and these divisions were made for a Mediterranean world that was filled with wars and violence. There was much bloodshed, power struggles, and flights for money in these Roman provinces. So the two brothers, Octavian and Anthony, soon pushed their other brother, Lepidus, out of the picture. So two brothers pushing out one brother. And even though his sister married Anthony for 13 years, Octavian and Anthony existed together as rivals until 31 B.C. Now hang in there. Octavian had the better strategy, thereby defeating the combined forces of Anthony and Queen Cleopatra of Egypt. You've heard that name before. At the Battle of Actium. So now Octavian, or Augustus, was the sole ruler of the Roman world, and he took the title of Caesar Augustus. Why do I take a moment to talk about that. Number one, we rarely get into that when we talk about the Christmas story. But the reason I wanted to go into that, and the reason we took that little side trip is this. I spent time sharing this information with you to set the canvas upon which God would paint his most beautiful work, the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. The reason we look at that is because we need to observe the chaos. The world in which Jesus was born was filled with wars, uncertainty, and tyranny, much like the world is today. We think that that was a different world where things were much easier. It was just as crazy, if not crazier that day, when Jesus came to this earth. So don't just look at the story of Jesus coming as a child and thinking, oh, this is just a little cute, silent, somber thing. The world was in turmoil when he came to this earth. Much like a special ops team, he quietly inserted himself into the battle for the rescue of someone. That person is you, and that person is me. He rescued us from the sinful world and ourselves. So as we continue with the scripture, verse 3 says, All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and was now expecting a child. Engaged and expecting a child. And while they were there, I love this, this phrase, the time came for her baby to be born. The time came. When I see the, the phrase, the time came, what I want to remind you is what Scripture reminds us of, is that God has got his perfect timing. 
things happen. People are born and people pass away in God's timing. It says, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So here in this birth, we see worldly power versus heavenly humility. Luke was offsetting the worldly power of the Roman government he had just mentioned with the fact that God's power of delivering a Savior in such a humble way. You see, the census, when they took that, that was to determine tax rates. That was to assess the military power and see who they could get if they were to draft and what monies they could expect to come in and have a record of all the firstborn males. Matter of fact, when you talk about the firstborn males, there's a, a, cross, a cross verse or a cross reference in Matthew 2, verse 16, which is another account of the same story. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. How did they know where to go? How did they know who to kill? Because of the census. All of this was set in place in prophecy. Caesar Augustus was playing a part. He didn't even know he was playing because God works. Check this out. God works through politicians. Sometimes they know it and sometimes they don't know it. I don't know who you voted for. I don't care who you voted for. We don't talk about politics from the pulpit, but I will talk about Jesus. And I'll tell you what, Jesus can use a Christian government official just as well as he can use a non-Christian government official. And here we see an awful, vile man. We see King Herod that has put out a kill order for babies. And God is still using these men and their horrific reigns to bring in the Savior of the world. There are so many prophecies, over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, that have rung true. The Savior was promised to be human and not an angel, to be a Jew and not a Gentile, to be from the tribe of Judah and from the family of David. So when you read that Joseph was from the family of David, that is a key, and that was set in time a long time ago. And so humility is accompanied by bravery. Mary was a teenage girl. Much like we have some teenage girls in here today. She was your age. And she was pregnant by God. And her husband was taking her on a ride for about 80 miles. And this was not in a nice comfy car. It was on an animal while being pregnant. Each bump, each pain, each contraction screaming of the arrival of our Savior. And her love for Joseph was full of appreciation for the fact that his journey of faith was being tested. Men, you got to understand this, is that the woman you are promising yourself to be married to, that you're engaged to back at the time, it was called betrothed, which was basically you were married except you hadn't had the ceremony yet. And she comes up to you and says, look, I'm pregnant, and it was God that did it, and you know it wasn't you? There would be some questions. But God came to Joseph just as he did to Mary. And Joseph knew, and he stood in the gap, not only for Mary, but for Jesus as well. 
This is God's protection. God's will, not their own. You see, God did not make it easy for Joseph and Mary, but he gave them the strength to get through it. I'm sorry to tell you this. There, there may be preachers and people to tell you that God, God created you to give you an easy road. Baloney. Baloney. Jesus himself said there is a wide road and a narrow road. Many of that, they walk the wide road. That leads to hell, but the narrow road that leads to heaven is people few and far between. And God's, I'm sorry, God's will is not for you to be happy. God's will for you is to be holy and to be used for his purpose. And so we see here that this was not easy for Mary and this was not easy for Joseph. But my friends, some of God's greatest blessings in your life will be the ones that you wrestled with God with to get through them. When I sit back and I look at prayers, I thought God was going to answer one way. If he would have done that, that would have been devastating. I have never looked back on the way God answered a prayer and regretted trusting him. Notice it said that there were strips of cloth or swaddling clothes. I mentioned this two weeks ago, but the thing is, is that newborn lambs would be wrapped tightly, swaddled, in specially designed temple cloths, and they would be laid in a manger to keep them constrained while being examined for blemishes. So what they would do is the priest, for the worship, back then they sacrificed animals, they would take the firstborn lamb, they would take these special strips of cloth, wrap it up, put it in a manger, inspect it, because if it had no blemishes, that would be the lamb that they killed and sacrificed for the sins of those that came to worship at the temple. Do you get the picture now? This is not just a a Christmas play where we put Jesus in a a manger and we wrap him in in really tight like a papoose and a little blue blanket and say, oh, that's cute. He was wrapped in clothes that were designed for the lamb that was going to be slaughtered, that his blood would be scattered for you and for me. That is the Christmas story, my friends. And it is a premonition of the plan God has put in place. Note John the Baptist's first words when he saw Jesus. In John chapter 1, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Folks, I'm going to tell you what. When I look at the baby in a manger, I will never see it in the same way again after learning that. There was no room in the inn. That's pretty self-explanatory. Do you get the imagery there? This world has no room for Jesus. Many people have no room for Jesus in their hearts. There was no room for him. Much like today, everything was going crazy. And the Savior was being born in a stable, in a manger, in an animal's trough. And the world kept spinning. Just like it does today. The second thing, Christmas means God is with us in verses 8 through 14. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And then here's the word I love in Scripture. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I see an angel, I'm going to be afraid. It says, Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 
the Savior, yes, Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, or some translations say swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, lying in the manger. And then suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. They looked like the choir. They had robes with red sashes on, maybe. Who knows? But then it says that the armies of heaven praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Folks, imagine this. If someone found the cure to cancer or someone found the cure to our recession, if someone found the pill that will make people younger, do you not think that it would be plastered on every news channel, every social media feed, people would be trying to get rich off of it. And here we have the Savior of the world arrives to our world, and the only people that are notified about it are the lowly shepherds. Now, back then, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you were a shepherd, you had an honest living, but you weren't very popular. I mean, think about what you smelled like. Shepherds smelled like sheep. They were not the ones that were invited to all the fancy parties. They were not on the city councils. They were not prominent. They didn't have tables saved for them at restaurants. They were lowly shepherds. And yet this is who God announces the arrival of his son to. They were invited in John 1 to meet the Lamb of God. Well, like shepherds, you share the good news and I share the good news just like they did. And you may be scared to share about Jesus. But God reassures us like he reassured the shepherds by telling them, don't be afraid. Let me just ask a simple question. How's how's the world going to know about Jesus unless we tell them? How are your children going to know about Jesus unless you read passages like this to them? How are they going to know about Jesus unless you bring them to church, which you are doing, which praise God for that. You are going to be rewarded for that. I don't know if it will be money. You will not be able to put it on a ledger sheet, but I've never heard a family regret having their children in church. We see Emmanuel, God is with us in verse 13. The Savior, yes, Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. And God knew the world did not need another politician. God did not need another celebrity, a TikTok viral video, or a cynic, or an activist, or a reformer. What did this world need? The world needed a Savior, and that came in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And this Savior was cared for by human hands and directed by a divine God. So folks, celebrate the fact that Jesus is here for you. Jesus is not far away. He is here today, in this moment, and all you have to do is turn to Him. And then we see in verses 15 through 20, we praise God for His perfect plan. It says in verse 15, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They look at each other and say, Man, that's something we want to see. So they get on their camels or whatever they're riding, and they, they head towards what they heard about. It says in verse 16, 
they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, check this out, verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. What we see here is that God followed through with this plan for your redemption by sending His Son. Do you realize that Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies as I said a moment ago, that foretold his coming. Peter Stoner, in his classic book, Science Speaks, calculated the chance of any man fulfilling these prophecies, even down to the present time, to be one in, I don't even know the number of this, one in 10 to the 17th power. Those of you that are smarter than me, you can figure out that is a really low chance. One in a chance, one out of ten to the seventeenth part. There's a bunch of zeros here. I would assume that's what sixteen zeros. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Help me out later and let me know what that is. I, after a billion, I can only I, I can't even conceive what the next word is or the termination. So, if if it's one out of ten to the seventeenth power, then how can anyone think that Jesus just happened? To be in the right place, in the right time. I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I would not have picked to come to the world in the way that he came. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yet he humbled himself to come to the world in such a humble way. And why did he do that? Why did he have to come to earth as 100% human and 100% God, and yet... On a mother and a father to raise him. It's because this, my friends, if you and I were to look at God one on one, we would perish because he is so holy and he is so just. We cannot even be in his presence. And God knew that. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we have a scripture that teaches us how to live. That, that's the reason when our heart is broken, we know that Jesus' heart was broken. When people stab us in the back, Jesus was stabbed in the back. When things are going great, there, Jesus had things that were going great. All of these things that we go through, we can identify with God because Jesus went through it. There is nothing you can go through that you can say, well, Jesus doesn't know what this is like. Because the Bible says he was tried and he was tempted in every way, yet he was still sinless. Folks, do not be tempted to go through another year counting the Christmas story as another fable to be placed aside. Fairy tales. Don't make the birth of Jesus to be like the tooth fairy or the Easter rabbit or even Santa Claus. You received a gift at Christmas. And that gift is a Savior. And it was no accident. God's plan for your redemption is real. And so the message of Christmas is twofold. It is come and see 
and go and tell. That's what the shepherds did. They went to see, and then immediately they went and told people. So don't sit around in your social media feeds, and don't sit around at your restaurants and, and all of your tables with your close friends and talk about how bad the world is, but yet refuse to tell them about Jesus and that Jesus loves them because that is what's going to change the world. That is what supposedly has changed you, and that is what will change the world. And I'm sorry, I'm just getting a little excited about it. Look, I can sit down with you and we can diagnose every problem wrong with every presidency in the last 10 years. But what good will it do? What good will it do for us to give everybody our opinion on how to fix inflation? Look, I'm not saying we need to be involved in worldly things. But the most important message we have is the message of Christmas. Come and see Jesus. And then go and tell others about Jesus. The shepherds received by faith God's message. And they responded immediately. They returned to their old jobs as new men. Some of you don't need a change of job. Some of you just need a change of your spirit. Some of you need to look at your job in a different way. And that may be only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You realize that maybe God didn't just set you there. But maybe God planted you there. Although shepherds were not allowed to testify in court, they gave witness to Jesus with their changed lives. So in conclusion, I would say, don't leave Jesus in the manger this Christmas, my friend. Don't leave Jesus in the manger this Christmas. God has established a plan for you to return and to remain in him. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is who we celebrate today. We celebrate his arrival, and we will celebrate again. Just as we get excited about Christmas and excited about the Christmas story, Easter's going to roll around again next year, prayerfully, and we will celebrate his resurrection. But we never have like a, a Christmas Easter and then like, anybody ever have a rapture day? Hey, we're going to celebrate rapture day. That's when Jesus is coming back a second time. Nobody's going to be celebrating that because everybody's going to be caught in whatever situation that they are in. Make sure that you have received God's greatest gift this morning. And so to possess a gift, we must receive it. And how do you do that? Well, you repent. That's putting your hands out for the gift. Then after you repent, you confess. That's asking for the gift. And then you believe in your heart. And that is accepting the gift. My friend, I know that a majority of you here either go to our church or go to a church and you have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, Lord, and I celebrate with you on that decision. And I pray that it is that decision that is filling your heart at this moment. It's a joy of what Jesus has done for your life. But my friend, if you are that person that is loaded down with guilt or loaded down with the Holy Spirit, is drawing you unto himself, the best thing you can do is come to him while the Spirit is calling you. Maybe the best gift you'll receive this Christmas is your salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together. And Lord, as we have this invitation, this is not a time for people to, to move around or to, to poke one another and to, to laugh and to, to kind of distract. This is a holy moment, Lord, that if there is one person that needs to know you as their Savior and Lord, if there's one person that needs to get forgiveness of their sins, this Christmas celebration is the day to do it because this is what Christmas 
is for. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I pray as we have this invitation that they will not hesitate, but they will come forward, Lord, whether it be to accept you or to rededicate or maybe join this church or get baptized, whatever this invitation time is. It's a serious time. It's a worshipful time. And it's a time that we will not get back. Lord, may you be glorified. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Mm -hmm.